So the beer I'm drinking right now is Upside Dawn Golden Ale by Athletic Brewing Company. It's a light-bodied craft ale that has a golden color, and when you pour it out and take a little sniff, you smell subtle notes of floral hops, a little bit of citrus, and some earthy tones. And when you drink it, the flavor is crisp, it's light, and pretty smooth. This beer is also a treat for me because I'm a little gluten intolerant, and it's one of the few non-alcoholic beers crafted to be gluten removed. Hi everyone, I'm Marco Salazar and welcome to the For All Drinks podcast, your place for discovering delicious non-alcoholic beer, wine, spirits, mocktails, and more for leading a fun, healthy, and inclusive lifestyle. On today's episode, we'll be chatting with the maker of this tasty beer, Bill Schufelt, founder of Athletic Brewing Company. Athletic is one of the leading non-alcoholic breweries in the world, and you don't want to miss out on our discussion because you'll get the inside scoop on how Athletic is helping to redefine what non-alcoholic beer can be, as well as the beer industry as a whole. Thank you so much for joining us today. Let's get started. When you talk with Bill, the first thing you recognize is that he's such a nice and humble guy. From the first time I met him and told him about For All Drinks, he was immediately supportive and said he was happy to help out in any way he could. We are also both focused on building community, which is how he refers to athletic customers and mission-driven. You can see this in how he runs the company, engages with customers, and produces the products they do. We also get into how Athletic is using new methods and technologies to develop some of the best tasting beers on the planet, how he met his co-founder, where the non-alcoholic beverage industry is heading, and what new beers they have on the horizon. So here he is, Bill Schufelt from Athletic Brewing. Hey Bill, welcome to the For All Drinks podcast. Hi Marcos, thank you so much for having me. It's great to talk to you. I'm super excited to have you here because when I think about the non-alcoholic beverage movement as a whole and the industry, I see you as the leading uh, non-alcoholic beer company in the U.S. You're really driving this movement. You're one of the companies that are offering such a great set of beers. To kick it off, I'd love for you to share, where did the idea for Athletic Brewing come from? Well, first of all, thank you. That's way too kind and we really appreciate it. To answer your question, Athletic has come from a natural pain point in my life and I think a lot of people's lives in our community where alcohol doesn't necessarily fit into that many occasions during the week. It's very specific nights and it's only part of the population that really enjoys alcohol. It's maybe half the population. We wanted to make something healthy, positive, aspirational that tasted great that you didn't have to compromise for. And that's exactly where we started from. The actual inspiration was I was about to turn 30 years old, had a really serious day job in the financial world where my attention and performance was my livelihood. I was about to get married. I've always been a bit of a weekend warrior where I love waking up, going for all sorts of workouts or endurance runs. And I was training for my first ultra marathon and I stopped drinking for a month. And I just felt so good every day and I was sleeping through the night. I'd wake up at six o'clock and feel great on Saturday mornings. And all of a sudden I had two or three extra hours of feeling good every weekend. And it was actually a really easy decision for me to stop drinking. Just everything about it was wholesome and positive and not your traditional penalty box stop drinking story. Of course, I definitely had my moments where I had too much fun, like everyone. But in that decision, I still love doing everything I used to do, going to events with friends and family, going to sports bars, nice restaurants with my wife. And there's never anything on the menu for me. Having to drink 
diet soda with a nice Italian dinner in New York City just felt like so penalty box. And I'd made this positive choice and had was getting punished for it and really wanted to set out to change that. And so that was really the whole impetus was wanted to share the positive impact that decision had on my life and potentially take that to the tens of Americans adults who could be benefited by that. Yeah, I think that you pointed out something really important is that oftentimes when you make those positive choices, especially with our health, it can oftentimes equate to situations that don't seem fun or you're not accepted in those contexts and there's not available options for you to participate. So being able to solve that pain point is huge. And I think one of the things that's different about athletic beer compared to other previous types of non-alcoholic beer is I keep coming back to the word craft. It's not just simply kind of just being honest, like O'Doul's and others that had been around for so long and this whole craft beer revolution happened and non-alcoholic beverages didn't really keep up, specifically beer. So can you share a little bit about that concept of beer and how it's an integral part of Athletic? For sure. Basically, the whole grocery store has turned over in the last 30 years and the non-alcoholic beer shelf had remained the same. It used to be really punitive to eat healthy. You had to choose either healthy or great taste. And now with how creative food producers are, or you can get such great fresh food too, that it's table stakes that things have to be healthy and taste great. Like if something doesn't taste great, it doesn't sell anymore. And we really wanted to catch beer up to that world. The craft beer world's incredible. It has every different variety of great tasting beers of every style. And it was long overdue for non-alcoholic beer to catch up to that. On the production side, we kind of looked at it and with how incredible and like really genius brewers are, they don't get nearly enough credit for how talented they are. We knew that if the existing technologies worked well, they would be using them to make great craft beer already. So we started with the baseline. If those technologies worked, they would already be in use. And so John and I, our co-founder, went back to the drawing board, wanted to brew fully fermented real craft beer that just happened to be below 0.5. And so we don't use any of the technologies that have been around since the 60s and 70s to make our beer. We start with all natural ingredients, all organic grains, and brew real beer, just with a lot of changes along the way of things like time and temperature and pH. And make beer that ferments to under 0.5. So rather than a single industrialized step, it's a change of like 12 to 15 steps where we're really brewing an artisanal product. And I think that shows up in the much higher ceiling than non-alcoholic beers ever had. Is there a standard like you're describing for non-alcoholic beer, or is it something that's a little more proprietary and unique to athletic in terms of how you brew? Yeah, it's. I think we're the only ones in the world brewing the way we brew. It's a method John and I came up with together. John, of course, is our co-founder and head brewer. He's been with me since day one. And we homebrewed hundreds of trials to get to our process. John joined from the alcoholic craft beer world, where he was highly awarded on both the national and international scale, and has since brought probably realistically the most talented person to ever turn their attention on the non-alcoholic beer world. I'd love for you to share a little bit about how you actually met your co-founder and just talk a little bit about how you all work together because he is a brewmaster, right? Yeah, John's incredible. 
I really got connected with John through a lot of rejection. I mean, there were not many people excited about non-alcoholic beer in 2017. We had this confidence that there were a lot of people out there that would love it, and it makes sense in modern, healthy, mindful diets. But the brewing community definitely was not there yet. And I would go to brewing conferences with 10, 15,000 brewers and have trouble starting conversations with anybody. And I probably got rejected by the first 200 people or so that submitted resumes. Wow. Yeah, it was kind of a dark time. And it's honestly all for the best because John is so thoughtful and talented and has been such a great partner to build this business with. As I said before, he's won multiple Great American Beer Festival medals and World Beer Cup medals in the past. And he, he comes from a family that kind of brought farm-to-table cooking to Connecticut in the, back, in the 1970s, who's been an amazing partner to build Athletic with. And all the recipe creation that comes out of our company is totally a testament to John's palate and ingredient selection, as well as our brewing team has grown to include a, a number of really highly talented brewers and quality team members in our lab as well. So if you see new people's names on labels, that's some new team members too, which is a lot of fun. That's awesome. I love it. And can you share a little bit about why you all, or what was the process for coming up with the first set of beers that you did? Yeah. Well, selfishly IPAs. I mean, I have I'm coming up on eight years of not drinking, and the IPA world had exploded in the time since I'd stopped drinking. Double IPAs, Brute IPAs, Hazy IPAs, Juicy IPAs, Black IPAs. There's like all sorts of range of incredible craft beer styles out there. I missed like a good West Coast style approachable IPA so badly. And that's what we dialed in with Run Wild. But then we really wanted our other flagship to be a totally guilt-free, crisp, refreshing, lightly hopped beer. And that's what we dialed in with Upside Dawn, our golden ale. And the great thing about that was that was the beer that we did almost all of our trial batches on to refine our process. Because in such a crisp, clear, refreshing beer, any flaws stood out really easily in that. And so that helped us kind of perfect our method. Interesting. And yeah, that's the one that I typically drink. Unfortunately, I am allergic to gluten, not celiac, but allergic to gluten. And Upside Down has that removed. Yeah, it's crafted to remove gluten. We wanted it to be like 50 calories, crafted to remove gluten, kind of our healthy, super approachable beer. Awesome. The thing that's really interesting also about you all is you have a subscription model. And then I see a lot on social media, all these pilot program beers. So it seems like you're always experimenting and testing. And what are some of the other types of beers that you have released and that you are possibly looking to release? Yeah. So the great thing about having our own breweries is that we can, like we have two small pilot systems, one at each brewery that our team can experiment on at a low cost to trial and make 30 to 100 cases of whatever suits their fancy that time of year. For example, we've recently started this fruit stand series with a raspberry goes and a blackberry Berliner Weiss. And so stuff like that, if we want to try dumping fresh fruit in the top of the fermenters and see how it goes a couple of weeks later, at least we're not doing it on big scale to jeopardize the food safety of a bigger batch. So on any given weekend at the breweries, we probably have 10, about 10 beers to pick up curbside right now. And then we do hope to continue to make more beers available on e-commerce. It's tough when 
when you're just a small craft brewery with national expectations on e-commerce, it can be, even if we do a 500 case offering, we can definitely see how it's frustrating for our community if it sells out too quickly. Which is a nice problem to have. Yeah, we're trying to walk that line between we really want our beers to be widely available so anyone can get them and doesn't have to come to the brewery. But also, if we offer and it sells out too fast, it's a frustrating customer experience on the other side as well. Yeah, absolutely. And those are kind of some growth pains, which one of the things that's really interesting is you all just recently purchased a brewery in San Diego. We can talk a little bit about that and that expansion. Yeah, for sure. So our community totally blew our socks off in 2018 and 2019. And we had so much fun growing so quickly with the community, trying to get beer out nationally as much as we could. But we were just a small brewery in Connecticut. And the brewery we built for five years, we ran out of space in 10 months. And we doubled the tank space and grew out of it again in three months. So John and I started scrambling and looking all over the country for a bigger home in a different geography also because beer is so expensive to ship where we could make a lot more beer and we found that in an old ballast point facility out in california so that brewery is about 10 times the size of the brewery in connecticut and so should hopefully give us some pretty good runway for hopefully at least a couple years yeah and and part of that coincided was i don't know if this is before after but you just recently raised a round of funding can you share a little bit about what that experience was if because I know I work in the social impact space and I know a lot of entrepreneurs and social entrepreneurs navigating that VC funding is very interesting. Did VCs understand what you were trying to do? And then the other side is you have a couple social impact people that were part of your VC fund. So we'd love for you to share a little bit about that process. Yeah. And social impact is a big part of what we do. Anyone investing in athletic by default is a social impact investor. So much like trying to find John, trying to find our first investor team to build the brewery in Connecticut was a lot of rejection as well. And I did about 120 investor meetings and found an incredible group of 65 individuals who helped us get to the starting line in Connecticut. They let John and I quit our jobs and homebrew in an empty warehouse together for a year and build a brewery. And I mean, when we raised that first round to build the Connecticut Brewery, we didn't even have beer to share. It was just people believing in the company and the mission. And I couldn't be more thankful for that team and the opportunity they afforded us. And it's really been that same team that has helped us every step of the way. So we haven't really opened it up to people on the outside. It's been that same team that has helped every step of our growth. So we are incredibly fortunate that that group is very diverse in their experiences and backgrounds and the advice they give. I like to say we have pretty much every advantage of venture capital and private equity without having to take that kind of money. And was this the same group that also raised the most recent round? Yep. Yeah. Oh, wow. And so they, yeah, it, uh, same group, super excited about the mission and yeah, there are a lot of things in our business plan that probably aren't for everyone on in the financial world, but this group is really excited about it. We pay full benefits to our employees, our teammates. We donate 2% of all sales to trail and park cleanups. So if you drop that in an Excel sheet, it doesn't look awesome for investors, but it's it, it means a lot to us and it means a lot for our community and it was foundational. And it's something that if it wasn't in there from day one, you probably can't go back into a business once it's grown and try to like insert values later on. 
And that impact program has evolved a lot in 2020 as the world's changed. So we've made pretty significant donations recently. In the first two months of COVID, the group under the most pain was the on-premise bar and restaurant employees who were out of work. So we donated 10% of e-commerce sales for two months to the National Restaurant Association Restaurant Employee Relief Fund. So we donated 10% of all e-commerce sales through April and May to the National Restaurant Association Employee Relief Fund. Our community really stepped up to the plate and contributed a lot to that. And that ended up being over $100,000. And then the world's obviously changing. And as our impact program grows, we're constantly in communication with our team and our community and what's important to people. And it was very clear as we rolled into June what's important in the world. And we made a public statement that we were going to make five pretty significant donations to the Black Lives Matter movement to support opportunity from the ground up in different communities, both to fight injustice, but also create an opportunity for people as they come through school systems. And we ended up making seven donations total there. So ended up being equally as big as our prior donation. So we're really proud of the way our impact program has changed form over the past uh, six months here too. Yeah. I, I remember when we first connected over the phone and we were just talking and I remember really, really loving the mission as well as how you embedded social impact as an integral part of the company, both from like how you refer to your customers as community, but also in terms of how you talk about your employees. And even we were kind of talking about some of the things you have planned from a sustainability standpoint, which mm -hmm. I'd love for, to hear about that. But I know you're also very humble and I, I would I do want to point out that during June, while there were a number of companies that were donating five x five thousand dollars, et cetera, you donated fifty thousand dollars and it might have been more to these causes. and and that's not a small amount for a very young company. So congratulations to you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, and it's we ended up donating seventy five thousand and that's just kind of our way. And the reason we chose seven causes and organizations to team up with was, to find out who's really doing the best work and who we can grow with in the future. So hopefully, like with our Two for the Trails donations, we really are just looking for our partners and who's making a lot of impact. And then we can hope to grow with them over the years to come every year. So, Yeah. And then are, are there any kind of elements from a sustainability standpoint that you all are looking looking at? For sure. We're always looking at different sort of like water recapture programs and ways to upcycle our ingredients and get them out instead of going to dumps or anything, going to farms and animals to feed feed different things, different parts of supply chains. Everything that goes out in our e-commerce is 100% recyclable, which was definitely one of our early goals. And we're also just in the beginning stages of looking at a pretty big solar project we're trying to get our california brewery off the grid if possible so that's in the early stages it might wow. be a two-year project because of the expense that's getting in motion now and we're hoping to start construction on that solar project before the end of the year and and one of the things relating again diving deeper a little bit into the business is that there's this really interesting balance and a good problem of e-commerce versus in-person or even distributing to the stores. And it's unique to the non-alcoholic beverage industry because you get to ship your your product. And how do you feel that's changed 
in terms of this growing the non-alcoholic beverage movement? And how are you balancing all that out? I mean, I got to give credit to our community and our team. When I first drew up the business plan, I thought e-commerce might be 5% of our business. And it has very rarely been under 50% any month during our life cycle. And that's totally a testament to our community and helping us get better at doing it. And it's a testament to our team. We have an incredible e-commerce team who's constantly iterating and talking to customers and trying to get things out faster and faster. But yeah, it's almost like a national tap room in a lot of ways where we can brew something. It doesn't have to be ready for Whole Foods or ready for our chain partners yet. We get this interim trial period where we can send it to our community who we know and trust and they're passionate about our beer. They can give us their direct feedback and they know that'll be taken into account on the next batches of it before it's ready for the big stage. So. Yeah, it's fun because we get to send it directly to them, get email feedback directly. It's it's just like a distant tap room where you're not quite talking to them over the bar. As you've been doing that process, what are some of the other types of beers and flavor profiles that have emerged and that are, I, we'll start there and then I'm curious about what you have coming up. Yeah. And so, yeah, to start directions, we took it off the bat where People wanted either much more hoppy or much less hoppy. So that led us both to double IPAs and also to our stout and our Mexican lager, which we brewed all three of those beers starting in late 2018. And we've been trying to make those more and more available for the past year or two. But since then, our brewing team has done an incredible job on the pilot system doing, for example, recently we did a whole single hop exploration series where a beer like Run Wild has a blend of five different Northwest hops. And so we did IPAs with just one hop in each in each variety. So people could really get the essence and the aromas of that single hop. We've also done a coffee stout with uh, Rise Brewing Company. Yeah, I actually grew up in neighboring towns with a couple of those, the founders of that company. And it's great people. They're sold in New York and then the Pacific Northwest in California as well. But uh, yeah, that's literally a breakfast beer with a little caffeine in it, and it's a, it's a pretty great beer. We're doing a fruit stand series, like I mentioned before. So the first two iterations on that are Raspberry Goes and uh, Blackberry Berliner Weiss. And then we've done things all over the map, from red IPAs to Pilsner we trialed out recently. People like that, so probably expect to see a lot more of that. We did a Grodziki, which was a one-off, but it's... It's almost like a smoked wheat beer, but it basically smells and tastes like a campfire, which is oh, wow. a pretty cool experience. And yeah, definitely have a lot of different things going on. We're currently brewing a different version of a West Coast IPA on the West Coast. One of our San Diego-based brewers is brewing that up, so it's very authentic. But yeah, I, I think in our tap room last weekend for curbside, we had 11 or 12 beers ready to pick up. Wow. And what what is it that's the final determining factor to have one go into production? I'd say community is definitely number one. Like that got free wave from being a pilot batch up to big tanks. And just, yeah, feedback from our community, our distributors, our retailers, but really the community and our team weigh equally as heavily. And what's, what's been your favorite at, you, either ever or at the moment? I mean, for me, it's always Run Wild. I drink so much Run Wild and absolutely love it. It it just fits in so many occasions for me. But I do, I will say I drink 
all of our beers and it's going to sound like such a cop out, but different things pair great with different foods and different occasions. And like our goes has tons of electrolytes. I think I had three of those on Saturday when it was about a hundred degrees. So yeah, definitely all different beers for different occasions and different meals. Yeah. And the word that keeps popping up and I appreciate that you're, you keep bringing it up is occasions. And I think that's, what's really unique and interesting about non-alcoholic beverages. Cause I think they can fit in lots of different occasions where an alcoholic beverages can't and or shouldn't. And was that one of the kind of one of the main drivers in terms of you kind of just creating athletic? Yeah, I'd say occasions and inclusion were the two main drivers. On the occasions part, it's beer, wine, and spirits are amazing at reaching basically two nights of the week. And then it leaves you with a limited set of options for during the week if you want to be healthy or mindful. I mean, there are very few drinks you can have with a weeknight dinner that are going to be equally as tasty and complimentary as your food or during the day on a Saturday or Sunday. And so we really wanted to, we see this as a very clear growth driver for the next decade plus of craft beer, where craft beer goes from two, three days a week to a seven day a week category. But then on the other hand, inclusion, I mean, 50, 50% of adults have 0.1 drinks or less per week. And that's a huge percentage of the adult population who goes to a restaurant and doesn't have a good beverage, doesn't even know what great craft beer tastes like, or goes to social occasions or work dinners or weddings or anything like that and feels left out because of it. And so we really want to invite that other 50% of adults into, into the party, into the bar, into the restaurant and like make them feel equally as welcome as anyone and not have to turn around the labels in their hands so no one asks them what they're drinks. So we want it to be something people hold out and are proud of and excited to share. Yeah. I mean, it's reminded me back when you said about choosing whether you're wanting to run a marathon or do a number of things and you feel like you may not be able to go out with your friends because there aren't available options. But you keep making me think about people who maybe not drink or don't want to drink and get invited to a party and they still buy alcohol to the party, but then they may drink something else versus being able to bring a, a delicious six pack of beer and they feel included and they can share it with others. One of my biggest realizations when I stopped drinking was people didn't care if I was drinking or not. And I liked buying drinks for my friends more than I ever liked drinking around the drinks I bought. But it's just that I didn't have anything to hold in my hand after that. Or the beverage I chose was so bad in quality that it was a magnet for attention that if you choose to drink something that bad, something must be wrong with you. And people dive into that. And we really want it to be the opposite where it was a conversation piece. It's something people are proud of. And there's a story to go with it. Like, yeah, I'm being healthy, but I love being with you or like something like that. And it turns it into a positive. And are you starting to see, so there's that individual component that we're talking about. Are you seeing restaurants and bars, and I know this is challenging within COVID, adopting this? And what are some of the challenges of getting them into restaurants and bars? I think of this as the vegan movement or gluten-free where bars and rest restaurants wouldn't have that. And now it's mm -hmm. a normal option. And ideally that would happen with non-alcoholic beverages in the future. I, I think you nailed it. I think there are huge analogs between the vegan and plant-based movements and the sober curious movements where 
I think the words vegan and sober are just hugely outdated and have these stigmas attached to them that are almost like radical and prohibitionist, where it's just healthy. And a lot of it is based out of a want to do positive and do good. And it's something that's been totally missing from the dialogue for like the last 20 years. And so we have seen like with the success of Beyond Meat and Impossible Meat, I mean, that is been a huge driver for people to be really forward thinking about their menus but also everyone speaks numbers and non-alcoholic beer grew six percent in 2018 23 percent in 2019 and it's up 44 percent in 2020 and so it's not only growing but it's accelerating at the speed it's growing and if you show a restaurant that the restaurant two blocks over run wild's been their number one beer for the last 14 months in a row even including the alcoholic beers it's it's hard to argue with that for sure. And when Whole Foods Northeast at different times this year, we've been a top three beer, alcoholic or non-alcoholic. And so the the data presentations make it much easier. But I will say anecdotally, I mean, once a non-alcoholic beer gets on the menu, a lot of people do run their finger right down the menu looking at ABV and go for the lightest one. That's very interesting. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think it's a matter of time. I think that there are these elements of the whole overall industry growing, and then there are going to be restaurants and bars that do bring it in. And if you don't, you're not going to see those customers coming in. Kind of switching gears, now that you've grown this with John and your amazing team, going from you and John experimenting and testing and figuring out what the recipes are to now being the CEO and leading a team. How is your role transition and what does your day-to-day look like? I do a lot of the same things. I still love doing a lot of things I used to do. For example, I'm tomorrow I'm driving up to Vermont to meet with a bunch of bars, restaurants, retailers, and our distributor just to check in and see how they're doing. I still love going to events and pouring beer and talking to people in our community. I think I did probably above 50 events last year, just like pouring beers at finish lines and stuff. But really it is, there's definitely a responsibility as we grow to provide stable jobs for our teammates and really just to keep listening to the community. So, I mean, I'm still on Instagram every day, responding to comments and talking to people because I mean, they're legitimately our friends and it's what I want to be doing. Yeah. And it's also where you get insights onto what your community wants and needs. Um, so being able to sure. be, be in the weeds as well is important. Where do you see Athletic in the next one to three years? So we've been going pretty fast and we're going to be in a lot of West Coast states, but most states east of the Mississippi by the end of the year. And the reason we're going so fast right now isn't necessarily to hit any numbers or anything. It is to, we want to be the non-alcoholic beer that people are introduced to when they try the category. So that when they try it, they tell their friends, oh my goodness, the category has changed. You got to try athletic beers. And it's not your parents' non-alcoholic beer anymore. Athletic beers are for real. So with that, we're probably growing pretty fast for at least the next few years. And we just really want to 2019 was so painful. We want to just be able to get our community more of the beers that we're making. With that comes good things like the more beer we sell, the more stable jobs are for our teammates, the more money we give back through our impact program. And so we don't really have any 
specific growth goals, but we do know the more beer we sell, the more money we can give to our impact program. And so that's a big part of what drives us. Yeah. And are you looking to expand internationally? We've gotten a lot of inquiries and we would love to be able to get people living abroad our beer who are asking for it. But we do want to make sure we can get beer in our backyard first before we do them a disservice and send it too far. Absolutely. So in wrapping up, what's your favorite part of working at Athletic and growing Athletic? No Sunday scaries for sure. Something goes wrong every day, but it, I, I'd say Friday is a scarier day than Sunday for me. So I think that's a good sign. I mean, the community is like, it's really fun to blow people's mind with changing perceptions of what healthy offerings can be and like what non-alcoholic beer can be. So. Yeah. And it sounds like just engaging with the community, growing it, and just providing people a, a really good experience and, and healthy options. It's definitely what we're going for. We're working hard at it. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Bill, for taking your time to share your story and your insights. And I'm looking forward to all the great things that Athletic is going to be bringing out in the next coming years. Thank you so much, Marcos. Really appreciate it. Excited about the launch party. Same year. Same year. Have a great day. Awesome. Thanks. You too. Thanks so much for joining me today. I hope you feel inspired by Bill's story and are excited about the growth of the non-alcoholic beverage movement. Be sure to join us next week where you'll hear from Terry Donnelly of Hill Street Beverage Company and learn about all the amazing non-alcoholic wines they're producing. If you're subscribed to the show, thanks for being part of the For All Drinks community. I'd be super grateful if you can take a moment to leave me a rating if you enjoyed this episode and the podcast. If you're not a subscriber yet, be sure to subscribe to this and all the other episodes of the podcast to start discovering more delicious non-alcoholic drinks. Lastly, visit foralldrinks.com for show notes to this episode and sign up for our newsletter to get the latest non-alcoholic beverage news, special giveaways, discounts, and more. Here's to drinking healthy, inclusively, and different. See you all next week.